we need to have friendships with one another. As I have loved you, now love one another. It's a spiritual discipline. Every follower of Jesus needs close, intimate, personal friends like David had with Jonathan. It's a spiritual discipline as necessary as prayer and fasting. Do you have that kind of friend? What does it take to be a good friend? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcast, you know that we're in a study of the life of King David. The Old Testament calls him a man after God's own heart. So what can we learn from his life that will help strengthen the bonds of friendship in our lives? Here's Pastor Chadwick. When two people come together and they clasp hands, their fingers enwrapping each other's palm, what you're basically saying is, I don't need anything from you. I just want to be your friend. I'm not expecting anything from you. I'm not going to use you for my purposes. I just want to be your friend. The same implication, by the way, parenthetically, is when we lift our hands to God in worship, some of you may look around and think, that person's really weird. But from God's standpoint, do you know what? He loves it. Why? Because that person with their open hand or hands in worship is saying, I need you, oh God. I need everything that you have. I'm nothing. You're everything. All of my life is totally dependent, surrendered to you. That's what an open hand means. Well, David and Jonathan clasped hands, saying we're in a covenant friendship with one another, and then Jonathan turns around and gives him everything that he has that signifies power, basically saying, David, you're now the king. The closest thing I think we come to in our day is, remember the camp days when you were 10, 11, 12 years old? And you would go to camp, and you would usually be around a campfire, and you will have sung Kumbaya 500 times, and then at the end of the final Kumbaya, you'll turn to the special person that you've made a friendship with during your weeks at the camp, and you'll say, let's be friends for life. And how do you signify that? You then take a little pin and prick your finger, and you ooze out a little blood. The other person does the same thing. Then what do you do? What do you do, folks? You put your fingers together. And you say, we are now blood brothers or blood sisters forever. This implication is your blood's intermingling with my blood. My blood's intermingling with your blood. We are set together for everything. And that friendship lasts through the summer. (laughs) And then it ends. Just like in high school, I've discovered I had a lot of acquaintances, not real friends. Because I don't talk to them anymore. But a friend is someone with whom your life is bound for a long, long period of time. Did you see here how true friendships don't have competition? Jonathan wasn't competing with David. David wasn't competing with Jonathan. If you have a true friend, you love when they succeed. You love it. You love when their kids succeed. You just love it. Because friendship's what binds you, not competition and being better than the other person. Thirdly, a true friend is a source of verbal encouragement. After Goliath was defeated, Saul said, David, you can't go home anymore, and he made him a general in his army. And so David went out and fought the Philistines several times, and he won every single battle. It was astounding. So when David would come back from the battles, along with Saul, who was also out there fighting, the women in the city would do the Harlem Shake. And they would start crying out, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. 
And they would shout with their songs of victory for David. And Saul, already in this paranoid state, would become increasingly paranoid toward David. So he comes up with an ingenious scheme. He, he says to David, hey, I have a daughter named Merib, M-E-R-A-B. And I'll give her to you in marriage if you go and fight civil war against the Philistines. Now, now Saul's calculating in his mind, surely at some point, this guy's going to run out of good luck, and the Philistines are going to get him, and he'll be forever eliminated from my life. But David goes out and fights the battle, come back, comes back, and wins them all, says, here I am, where's your daughter's hand? Saul goes, uh, I'm giving her to another man. But then he goes back to David and says, tell you what, if you'll go back out and get me 100 Philistine warriors' foreskins... Go get me 100 foreskins, bring them back to me, and Michael, my daughter, who's fallen in love with you, wasn't that a punch to his gut too, I'll give her to you in marriage. So, so David goes out and fights the battle. Saul's back home thinking, I'm sure, the odds are against this kid. I mean, in 100 Philistine warriors, somebody's going to get him. But David not only comes back with 100 Philistines, foreskins. He comes back with 200. Call that a disgusting dowry, if you will. And he comes back and Saul has to give Michael now to David in marriage. And so the third scheme he comes up with is he hires a hit squad to go kill David after he's married Michael. And Michael works out a plan and a strategy. David escapes out the back window and David's on the run now. Saul's trying to kill him. And that'll be next week's message, David in the caves. What it's like to go through depression what it's like to go through tough times in life. You see, First and Second Samuel describe the life of David. The Psalms describe the heart of David. And we'll look at some of his Psalms while he's in the cave. But he's on the run now. Now, now, now here's my point. During all of this paranoia towards Saul, two interesting things happen. First of all, Jonathan, David's close friend, goes before his dad in First Samuel 19.4, and he says this. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. Dad, David's done nothing wrong. His heart's good. He's trying to expand the kingdom. He's trying to help you. Dad, stop this pursuit of him. And for a moment, Saul relented, the point being, a good friend will always speak words of encouragement about you to others. Let me say it again. A close friend will always speak words of encouragement about you to others. They're not in competition. They're not jealous. They won't slander you. They won't gossip against you. They'll only speak words of life, blessing, and encouragement to other people about you. And as Saul then continued to pursue David... Jonathan helped David escape finally, and in 1 Samuel 23, 15, and 16, we see this. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. So a close friend not only speaks words of encouragement about you to other people, a close friend will come to you in your dark days and speak words of encouragement to you. A close friend lets words of encouragement flow from their lips about you and to you in your deepest and darkest days. 
Fourth, a true friend is a friend forever. A friend forever. Now, David's on the run, okay? Saul's pursuing him. But eventually, he has to turn away from David and go fight the Philistines. Interestingly, Jonathan chose to remain with his dad even over his friendship with David. Now, the question's asked, why? They had this close covenant blood friendship. Why? And here's the answer. Because Jonathan was a faithful, God-fearing Jew, and he honored the Ten Commandments, one of which says, you shall honor your mother and father. So Jonathan chose his dad. He chose duty over his desires. Oh, that we would do that, that we would choose principle over our passions. That's what made Jonathan so great, is he chose to honor God even above what he felt. And so in a battle against the Philistines, both Saul and Jonathan are killed. When David hears about it in 2 Samuel chapter 1, he cries out, Oh, how the mighty have fallen! He saw how his dear friend Jonathan was now dead. How the mighty have fallen. Now, after David then took the throne, he gathers together his people and he says, you know what, I made a covenant with Jonathan to be a friend forever, but not only that, I promised to him I would take care of him and his descendants. Scour the land and see if there's any descendant left of Jonathan's. Now, what David didn't know is when David came into Jerusalem to take over the kingship, there was a nurse who was holding in her arms a little boy by the name of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. David didn't know that this son existed. And trying to run away, she fell. Mephibosheth broke both his ankles. They did not heal rightly, and he was crippled for life. They fled to the other side of the Jordan River to live in quiet, thinking this David will try to eliminate any seed of Saul. He'll try to exterminate any hope for zealous, nationalistic, rebellious overthrow of his kingdom. So they sent out these spies to try to find any remaining descendants of Jonathan, and sure enough, they find Mephibosheth, and they bring him back to the court. And can't you imagine what Mephibosheth was feeling? I am toast. I'm dead. This king is going to kill me immediately. But he comes before David, and David does three remarkable things. First of all, he restores the family farm. This beautiful acreage was now given to Mephibosheth. Saul's acreage was given to Mephibosheth. Jonathan's acreage was given to Mephibosheth. Secondly, he put in charge of that land a steward who was to take care of it and make sure Mephibosheth had all of his needs met. And thirdly, he said to Mephibosheth, you may come before my table any time that you want. You may come and eat of any breakfast, lunch, or dinner that's ever being offered. You will always have your needs met. Isn't it a beautiful example of covenant friendship? Friends forevers. Not acquaintances, but friends for life. So those are the four qualities of a deep, abiding, personal friendship that God wants us to have. Common interests, no competition, a source of verbal encouragement, and finally, friends forever. Friends for life. Now, let me take one quick moment and do a parenthesis here. Because you look at David and Jonathan's friendship, and you think, this guy must have been an extraordinary friendship machine. He, he must have been able to make friends all of his life and had tons of friends forever. Didn't have anybody who didn't like him. Eh, not true. Psalm 55 is interesting. In verse 12, David writes, again, 
First and Second Samuel tell the life of David. The Psalms tell the heart of David. Listen to what he writes in Psalm 55, 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Verse 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. David had a close friend, a close advisor. His name was Ahithophel. In his early days of being king, he counseled him in wonderful, wise ways. But at some point, Ahithophel's heart turned against David, probably because he was related to Bathsheba, the woman whom David took in adultery. And because of probably that incident, maybe some other things, Ahithophel turned against David. He became David's enemy. Dear friends, David had his Judas, just like most of us have. We've had someone whom we thought was a close friend who betrayed us. Someone we thought was on our side but disappointed us. And our hearts have been broken and hurt. And the question is, how do we handle it when friends become Judas's, when friends become Ahithophel's, what do we do? When a husband or a wife commits adultery, when he or she walks into the house and says, I I don't love you anymore, I want out of here. When somebody betrays us in the workplace and steals an idea that we had, what do we do with that? Well, first of all, David prayed what's called imprecatory prayers. Fancy word, you impressed? imprecatory prayers. You know what they were? They were prayers basically, God, go get them. God, go destroy them. We see it in the next verses, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live half their days, but I'll trust you. You see what he does? It is okay to get hacked off honked at somebody who abuses you, somebody who mistreats you, somebody who betrays you. It's okay. But here's the deal. In your anger, as you cry out to God, give them to God. Cast your burdens on the Lord, David said. You forgive them, not for their benefit, but for your benefit. Folks, to continue to hold a grudge and bitterness is like drinking arsenic and expecting the other person to die. It's stupid. You can be angry at the mistreatment, but you cast your burdens on the Lord. You give them to God. You trust that he'll take care of them in his way, in his time, and then you move on with your life. The greatest revenge you can have against your enemies is to forgive them because they want to continue to hurt you. But the moment you forgive them, they're baffled. What in the world's going on? Just remember, even King David, amidst his great friendships, like with Jonathan, also had enemies. So let me see if I can land this airplane, this message. First of all, let me state very clearly, I believe with all of my heart that this close covenant friendship is supposed to be primarily with your spouse. That was God's intention. 
You're supposed to care for one another, be intimately involved with one another, communicate with one another. Your spouse is supposed to be your best friend. You know, you can leave your spouse. It's very difficult to leave your best friend. The fault's in the salt. If we are the salt of the world as Christians, the fault's in the salt. If we're to make the world less putrefied, the fault's in the salt. Okay. Here is the application. First of all, no Jesus friendship with us. Romans 5 says that we were enemies with God. We were enemies with God. When Jesus came to die on the cross, we were God's enemies, rebels against his holy way. But he loved us so much, he came for us and died on the cross to make us his friends. John 15, 13, would you read this verse with me? Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that, come on, people, read it. Someone laid down his life for his, for his friends. That if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is this kind of Jonathan friend to David to you. He will have a common interest with you, your eternal salvation. He has no competition. He just wants to love you. He is a source of constant encouragement to you, and it's love forever. Secondly, if this is true, we need to have friendships with one another. As I have loved you, now love one another. It's a spiritual discipline. Every follower of Jesus needs close, intimate personal friends like David had with Jonathan. It's a spiritual discipline as necessary as prayer and fasting. Do you have that kind of friend? There's no such thing as a grit. Right? Come on, Southern people. Is there such a thing as a grit? There are what? Grits, plural. We're meant to stick together. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation from the heart. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bob? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Tom Westboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now 
This week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seeds you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Jen. It is such a pleasure being with you again. Well, you as well. And in this morning's e-devotion, you wrote that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Can you tell us about that? I can, Jen. This is a Davidism, as we affectionately call them through the years, that I have stated over and over again. If there are people at my church, Moments of Hope Church, hopesters, as we (laughs) affectionately call them, who remember one Davidism perhaps more than any other, it's this one. Mm -hmm. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And that's because the heart of Christianity is our hearts and how they have been transformed by the grace and goodness of Jesus to be new creations, the old has passed away and the new has come. So if you want to change your circumstances, first change your heart. Mm. The the heart is the wellspring of all life, Proverbs 4.23 says. So we need to get at the heart of the matter, which is a heart that is deceptive, evil, selfish, Jeremiah Mm 17.9. But I really believe that we as believers in Jesus who go to him don't need to live in Jeremiah 17.9 anymore. Our hearts are still still dealing with deception and lies at some level, but we are new creations. We have new hearts. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, David cried out in Psalm Mm. 51 after he'd committed adultery and a cover-up and murder and all of those things. So God wants to give us a new heart, even especially through Jesus and the cross of Calvary. So I just want to tell everybody listening right now, if you want to change your circumstances, change your heart. If you want to change your behavior, first change your heart, because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Go to the source of the problem. Go to the Lord and let him give you a heart transplant. Mm. Take out that old stony, selfish, rude heart and replace it with a loving, kind, gracious heart. And the way that happens is by receiving from him his love, mercy, grace, and Mm. kindness. Jesus said this, as I have loved you, now love one another. When you receive his love, then you're able to love other people. So Mm. remember, to get at the root of the problem is to get at the root of the heart. I love this, and I'm reminded of of this, the old man, and when those things creep up and I'm starting to not trust my heart, I can say, you were crucified. You were crucified to the cross, and I have new life. Mm. And we really need to have that perspective and remind each other of our identity and who we really are. Jen, may I make a quick statement here? Please. I am tired of people saying to me, I'm just a pure, old, rotten sinner saved by grace. Mm. No, you're not. You are an adopted child of God. The King of kings and Lord of lords chose you to be in his family. You're an heir of everything that he owns by the new heart transplant that has occurred. Royal blood Mm -hmm. pulsates through your vein. You are a son or daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who you are. You were a sinner. Now you're a saint who sins. And if you get that difference in your heart, when you understand that true difference, you are a new creation and you'll stop behaving the way you think you are. That is so powerful. Thank you so much, David. Well, listeners, thank you for listening as well. 
well. And please understand your identity in Christ. That's who you are. And when you believe that about yourself, you'll behave differently as well. Mm -hmm. If you'd like these daily Davidisms, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. from my heart to yours to help you begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly HopeCast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to reach out to a neighbor today.